When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's another film study. Know your foe as we're going to look ahead to Monday Night Football. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I mean, it's it's Monday Night Football is always fun because there's added excitement, but it means we all just got to wait longer. We do. We have to wait longer, and it's not just one day. It's really like a day and a half, and then you have a night game and all the hassles that go with that. And uh, I know our guest understands what a pain in the ass it is to write after a Monday Night game. <laughs> right, so our guest today is Seth Kaiser from The Athletic, right up there for uh, Kansas City and the Chiefs. Seth, how's it going? It's going really, really well. I appreciate you guys having me. Now, you're, uh, we, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Seth. We know how busy it is this time of year for everybody. And with a game like this coming up, we can't help but be very excited, and we want to learn as much as we can about the opponent as we do every week mm-hmm. uh, on these Know Your Foe episodes. So we appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. I, I, I assume I won't be able to give anything away that's too crazy, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to learn about you guys, too. All right. We'll do some of both then. Uh, let's let's review first of the Chiefs offseason. Obviously, coming off the Super Bowl year, uh, you know, always the questions come up about Super Bowl hangovers. I think maybe more significant is how the Chiefs cap situation uh, has developed this offseason with some of the big contracts they've signed. Um, they have, you know, the Chiefs have had a really interesting offseason in that they haven't done much to alter the nature of the team 
right? They liked the guys that they had. They felt Andy Reid was quoted on this saying he felt that the 2019 team never really peaked. Um, they never really got as good as they could have gotten last season, which sounds funny after a Super Bowl win. But given injuries and everything, I think there's a point there. And so their whole goal, you know, they 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 started the hashtag run it back, you know, like a month after the season started. And that's their whole thing is bring all the major contributors back and try to repeat. And then we'll focus on, you know, 2021 when 2021 gets here. And they, by and large, have been able to do that. They brought back every major contributor except for Kendall Fuller on the defensive side of the ball. And so far, so good. So in terms of cap for 2021, and one of the one of the things that keeps coming up is how can they afford all these players? We thought they were in cap trouble. Um, and I know they did sign some team-friendly contracts, both mm-hmm. with Jones and, and probably with Mahomes as well. Uh, but, but tell me a little bit about how the cap uh, is projected to increase over the next couple of years for the Chiefs. So in, in terms of cap space, what they've really done is they've locked themselves into where they are going to be in terms of their core over the next couple of years. Um, they really aren't going to have room for big signings unless they cut someone loose, you know, with like a post-June 1st designation or something over the course of the next couple of years. Um, they, they, I think, and this is this is mostly speculation, I think they're relying on the fact that regardless of a weird year with COVID and the restrictions there, that the new money coming in from television deals is going to find them, they're going to be doing a lot better, say, around 2022. So most of the big money contracts they set, you see them really start to kick in in 2022 and 2023. Uh, Patrick Mahomes signing a really extensive contract that played out for so long gave them that kind of flexibility. And they did that with Travis Kelsey. They did that in part with Chris Jones. So they've really managed to stagger the years that the cap hits have come. And so while they're locked into the basis of their roster at this point, they should have some flexibility moving forward, assuming the cap just doesn't plummet. Right. So I think a lot of people are projecting a cap that's going to be lower this mm-hmm. next year. There may be, in addition, the ability to borrow from future years, because otherwise I think a lot of teams are going to be in a lot of trouble next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been a big proponent, and obviously I'm not the only one, of trying to save every dollar you can this year and push it to next year, where those dollars I think will be worth more. You'll be able to go out to the market and spend a little more. Bill Belichick obviously pushed forward $17 million through his chicanery um, <laughs> and the league, you know, is obviously has allowed it. I, I, these have obviously been team driven. It just upsets me. <laughs> team driven <laughs> opt outs. And I just see eight of those occur and 17 million pushed forward. If, if you didn't think Belichick was behind it, I think you'd have to be a rookie on earth. To, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll talk about the chiefs here. We'll get back to this. Uh, Seth, talk about the biggest acquisition maybe in the offseason that wasn't a re-signing of a, of a core player. Um, they really, in terms of the offseason, in terms of actual acquisitions, the only ones that you could really look at in terms of major additions would be guys that really arrived through the draft. Um, everything else was a retaining of a core player or even kind of a peripheral players, guys like Demarcus Robinson or Bashad Breland, who weren't considered stars, but were contributors. They brought those guys back too. they brought back Mike Pinnell. They tried to bring back absolutely everyone. I think outside of the draft, though, so far, what we've seen make the biggest impact has been uh, Kelechi Asimeli, the left guard he came from the Jets previously with the Raiders. So far, his health has held up, which has been his major barrier the last few years. And he's played really well, which has been important because last year during certain stretches, the interior of the line just wasn't holding up in pass protection in particular. Uh, He's done a really nice job. He's kind of been a bit of a road grader in the run game. Now, the other two interior line positions are a bit bit of a different story. But he's been able to help them kind of unlock a different mode. Beyond that, it's been almost entirely the draft where you've seen contributors come from. Okay, so assembly, of course, the next Raven who who was here for five years, four years, four years, I guess, before he left for free agency. But the 2012 Super Bowl, the move of him to guard was very key in getting the Ravens uh, through the postseason. He was just mm-hmm. terrific in the postseason. So, uh, yeah, we know you guys got a good player there. We were very sorry to see him leave when he did. Um, but there was just no affording him, frankly, for the Ravens. Joe Flacco's contract wouldn't allow for it. So uh, we were where we were. Um, the other thing I like to ask guests on are about the players who are currently in year three and year four in particular. Is there anybody graduating to free agency either this year who might have a big year and price himself out or next year who they really don't know what they have yet in a current third year player? 
Sure. So they they don't have a uh, they're they're kind of in a, a weird year this year where some of their contracts that are going to come up are going to be next year and the year after. Um, Tyron Matthew is in the second year of a three year deal. Sammy Watkins is in the final year of a three year deal. So he would be one player who kind of falls into that category. Um, where the thing with Watkins though, they kind of know what they have in him. And I think the rest of the league does too. There just aren't a lot of question marks for them. They're kind of a boring team in that regard. There aren't a lot of, um, there's not a lot of drama over, you know, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, they had that say with Chris Jones last year, but they pretty much know who they are. They know what they want to do. The probably the one question where you got guys coming up here in the next couple of years will be their tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, both over the next couple of years, their contracts are going to start expiring it'll be interesting to see what they do with them because they're a really important part of their mm-hmm. offense schematically they ask them to do a lot they don't give them a lot of help because they want as many receivers as possible but overall the the chiefs have done a pretty good job in terms of having this year their major contributors there just aren't a lot of people that are in that you know kind of contract year hiatus the one question was chris jones and they managed to get that long-term deal done the two i'm looking at are uh passing on and oh yeah, Passanio. I'm sorry, I'm not good with it's an impossible but name. <laughs> let me give the other one that's probably, probably going to mess up too. Is, is Eric Naughty? Yep. So yep. So, he's, yep. He's a year three guy. And the question is, would be, do you know what you have yet in that guy to determine if you want to sign if he's a key core player to sign? Sure. And and same thing with uh, Tano. I would say, you know, with with both of those guys, I'm guessing they're going to either walk or be signed to team-friendly deals. To know Passanio has seen kind of a, a revival in his career, switching over to Spagnolo's defensive scheme. Uh, Spagnolo likes his defensive ends big, strong, physical, with a little more athleticism than you'd expect. That's one of the reasons they traded for Frank Clark, right? He's the prototype for what he's looking for. Um, Passanio really fits the mold in that, and he's done pretty well. But he is not a guy who has ever really flashed. He fits the scheme well. He's got the athleticism to run stunts pretty well. Um, he has surprising athleticism closing, but he's never developed a go-to move or counter move as a pass rusher and isn't quite as stout against the run as I think they'd like. Derek Nadi is, is, is another guy that's in an interesting position because he's a decent player, uh, solid nose tackle, tough to move, but he's not a dominant nose tackle. Really, Mike Pinnell came in last year as a veteran mm-hmm. and outplayed him. And my, now Mike Pinnell is a big, strong guy. And so there's not necessarily shame in that, but the problem is that the nose tackle position, if you don't rush the passer. You have to really be dominant as a run defender to get another contract. And while he's been solid, he hasn't been dominant. And so I'm guessing it'll be another situation where if he's willing to stick around for a relatively modest contract, they'll keep him. Otherwise I think he's fairly replaceable at this point. Well, as a team who had two nose tackles, they really loved. No, I guess they really were both nose tackles. Brandon Williams are even signed to a long-term deal that ended up not being too team friendly. And Michael Pierce, they allowed to walk this year. But the, the one thing that I think about those tackles is 305 to 315 or 310 anyway is the wrong size for today's nose tackle. You you have to be one of two things. You have to be an interior pass rusher, as you mentioned, who a lot of those guys are uh, 295 to 310. Or you have to be a huge guy where you're talking 330 and up where you're really a, a dominant run stuffer like Williams or Pierce are. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that's where you find guys that they're almost tweeners to an extent. Yep. And and you just the, the scheme that they're that they're generally asked to run, you just end up with most run with most run games these days, you just find yourself facing way too many combo blocks that you just those guys can't hold up, you know, snap after snap after snap with two guys starting off against them and you see him start to move. And you can see that difference between Pinnell and Naughty. Again, Naughty's a big strong guy, hard to move. But over time, you can see those combos and doubles start to get to him throughout a game. Whereas Pinnell, whether it's because he's heavier, because he's about 330, 335, or he's just more of a veteran and knows how to better leverage himself, it doesn't seem to have the same effect on him. Chiefs fans were very, very happy that Pinnell's suspension was only two games um, as opposed to four because they know Ravens. they're going to need him this week. Yeah, I was just going to say that you're, you're describing the Ravens exactly when you talk about this combo box in the middle of the field, often two on the same play. So you often have both. Both your interior linemen double teamed with a with an in motion tight end, right? And uh, uh, you know there's a there's with the with the read option as you know there's a down block from the right tackle that usually comes in and a and a freed defensive end. So uh, there should be some 
some definitely some opportunity for double teams in this game. The Ravens really destroyed the Texans this last week with mm-hmm. reestablishing that power run game. Let's talk about the draft though, because a little bit Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I think you know, people saw on Thursday night football how great he was. Uh, who else is really impressed in this draft? Um, right now, the the other guy that's really impressed is Legereus Sneed, a fourth-round pick, um, played a little corner and a little safety in college. Uh, he basically got thrown into the fire because Bashad Breland, uh, one of the starting boundary corners, he's out for the first four weeks because of a suspension. And then Charvarius Ward got hurt in week one, missed week two. We're thinking he'll probably be back with a fractured hand. He'll likely play in a cast in week three. So Sneed, the Chiefs really didn't do much to address the cornerback position this offseason. Kendall Fuller walked in free agency. Everyone thought they'd take a corner in the round for like the third year in a row. And once again, Steve Spagnolo said, no thanks, apparently. Um, so Sneed, it was really crucial. They needed a young guy to step in and play well. And so far, Legereus Sneed has. I think, honestly, even had they drafted him at the end of the first round, they would be Chiefs fans would be thrilled with what he's done so far. Now, the thing with cornerbacks, there's so much variance there. So we'll see how he's doing in, you know, eight weeks, right? Or this time next year. But so far, he's shown really good physicality, excellent, uh, excellent deep speed, and the ability to recover from mistakes when he does make them. A little bit more quickness than you often see from genuinely fast guys. And he's been willing to contest the ball well. So, so far, that's played out really well. And it's one of the reasons their defense on the back end hasn't completely fallen apart, losing their two starting corners. So he he hasn't he was drafted as a safety, correct? And, and... He played safety his final year in college. He'd played corner the year before, and they made it clear from the get-go that they wanted him at corner. They thought that was his strongest position. Okay. Has that nice close to aircraft carrier size at 6'0, 195-ish kind of kind of size. That's a that's about as big as corners get, but uh, but there are a few that are bigger now these days. Right, and that's uh, that's Steve Spagnuolo seems to like those kind of corners. Charvarius Ward has pretty decent size as well, and Bashad Breland's an unusually big corner, um, and and he's very good at using his body to force wide receivers, not even necessarily to physically jam them, but to direct them towards the sideline and kind of make them just basically run out of road. Right? right, you've got this big wide body in your way, and Spagnolo, his scheme it's a lot more about knowing where you're supposed to be, not as much man coverage as they used to do under Bob Sutton, which was almost all the time he left guys on an island they do a lot more now of zone and pattern match and blended coverages that where they he wants smart guys don't necessarily need to be burners but need to be able to do one or two things pretty well and then he schemes around that okay that's that's really that's really special to be able to do that in pass defense the ravens are, are, are a scheme pass rush team but they, mm-hmm. they they do a lot of very simple things frankly in, in coverage let's uh let's uh move on a little bit and uh talk about the offense uh, mm-hmm. Talk about Mahomes because there's one thing that I've noticed that's kind of different about him this year. But I'd like to hear from you. What what are his usage and and uh, how has his game changed this season in particular? Sure. Well, you know it's tough to say two games in, especially with one of those games being against the Chargers, who consistently play Mahomes and the Chiefs better than anyone else has since he took over the starting reins. Um, Anthony Lynn has consistently had great game plans. And they've done a good job. They did a good job again in week two. They stymied him a lot of the day. Um, one thing I saw from Mahomes in week one against, albeit a weak Texans defense, he basically, they, they, they played a lot of too high. They played with their corners, playing a lot of off man, just basically trying to keep everything in front of them, the type of thing that he might have forced the ball into in the past. And this year he basically just took what they gave him and dink and dunked his way down the field, you know, made a couple of amazing plays when they needed to. But overall, just kind of let the, the game come to him a little bit more. Um, against the Chargers in week two, you saw a little more of like the psychotic heroics that we've come <laughs> become used to. You know, the I, I just, I have to say, I think I'm contractually obligated as a Chiefs writer. His, his tie, tying the game touchdown throw to Tyree Kill is one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. And I've been covering Mahomes for years now. And so, but he had to do a little more because they just weren't winning schematically. So, one thing I have noticed, he's taking things a little bit more as they come to him. He's a little more willing to scramble than he was this time last year. Obviously, last year he had the ankle injury in week one. Then he had the dislocated kneecap. He really wasn't healthy till about week 12 or week 13. He played the rest of the year injured because his his ankle kept getting tweaked. And then obviously the knee. Uh, so he's, he's playing a little bit more smart. One thing that would be interesting from your from the Ravens' perspective, is something that reared its head against the Chargers that came up a little bit midseason last year was he was bailing out of the pocket a little bit again, which is something that happened last season 
when he came back from the dislocated knee. I don't know whether it's a trust issue or what, but that was something that reared its head again a little bit throughout the game. So it'll be overall, he looks like the same guy. He's making decisions and reads a little bit faster, though. And it's not super surprising that he came back better. He is, uh, to, to quote his own offensive coordinator, a competitive prick. And he just never stops working on stuff. That's, that's, that's great. And I've noticed the same evolution. I saw in the first week on the next-gen tables that he had an ti- average time to throw of 2.35 seconds. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think that's somehow related to the offensive line. It's not that the offensive line doesn't at all have an impact on that or brush against it, but it's mostly about how quick the reads are, how quick the patterns are, how quick the plays develop. And it's a function of what the quarterback is trying to do. And the Mahomes of old wanted to extend a lot of plays mm-hmm. and would have had naturally had a higher time to throw. Lamar Jackson's up over three seconds this year, I think 3.08 or, or thereabouts through two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, that's the kind of number I wouldn't be, have been surprised to see from Mahomes. But that first week, you mentioned a lot of dinking and dunking. He almost looked like the Peyton Manning of his late, of late career where mm-hmm. he was – had two reads almost he was ready to go to boom boom right off the start or fake read um uh, you know and, and just very impressive uh, you know obviously ready to play as an old man in this league already and that's good to see you know for Chiefs fans because one of the questions obviously he's still you know, he's 25 but you already have people because this is what football fans do saying what are we going to do when he's 33 34 and he starts to lose the arm and I always say I don't know <laughs> like I don't know what I'm going to be doing with my career in that many years so let's calm down and enjoy it but it is good seeing him take that next step try to win games mentally as opposed to just physically he he progressed a lot on that last year and you see it taking more steps there are a few snaps against Houston where you see them get a free slot blitz or something like that and he's already got the ball coming out as the guy comes at him free you also could see if you take a look at some of the charger snaps they had some fairly complicated blitz packages that he generally speaking had the protections called out correctly and you just see a a little more of those 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 mental games falling into place for him yeah it's it right now there's a there's a funny dynamic going on around fans of the chiefs the ravens and the uh, Seahawks, I would say, are the other major group, but also the Bills. The Bills are an uppity group of, of funny, <laughs> funny fans. But, but yeah, you know, I think most of the, the the other three teams, other than the Chiefs, are all basically playing for the silver medal of who's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And if you hear the Seahawks, say, well, there's just no, there's no talking about it. You know, he's done it for so long. He's been so great, and and Russell Wilson is much better than the others. I don't really honestly believe that's true, and I think there's other other things that go with that. But uh, Wilson has a lot of plays that aren't passes that aren't real good for his team, like 93 plays a year for 0.2 yards when he's forced not to throw. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jackson had 65 or something last year, and it was 5.2 yards for positive when forced not to throw. That's his sacks and his scrambles uh, loaded together. So I just, you know, there's a lot of differences that go into this. But the funny thing about it is everybody seems to, right now, anybody, be willing to to say that he's Mahomes is certainly the, on an island by himself as the best quarterback in the game. I think that's, that's certainly fair. The Bills thing is just hilarious right now. Yeah, but, no, but, that's just yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's Although I will say Josh Allen, as someone who doesn't have a rooting interest in the Bills, mm. is so much fun to watch. Yeah. Like, because you do not know. His ceiling is like peak Mahomes from snap to snap, but his floor is like just non-existent. <laughs> and so you just never know what he might do, even on the same play. It's it, it's a lot of fun to watch. I'm glad I'm not cheering for him, though, because that would be really stressful. <laughs> escape, 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 throw up a long ball. It's far off target. And, and you know, one of the unfortunate things in Buffalo, he's got that horrible weather to play in. So he's never probably going to reach statistically the level of Mahomes, certainly. And, and, uh, and you know, Frankly, Russell Wilson's playing in some tough weather, and Lamar can play in some tough weather. But, uh, but anyway, it's uh, it is what it is. Let's move on. We've been talking about that forever. The offensive line. I think you talked about it a little bit, but let's go mm-hmm. from left to right, from Fisher to Semley and and uh, across. Sure. Um, Fisher is obviously a longtime veteran. He was the first overall pick. He's never blossomed into an elite left tackle, but he's a competent one. Um, he gets a lot of flack from Chiefs fans because that's what comes with being the first overall pick, but he's a competent tackle. He struggles with power rushers, deals pretty well with speed guys. Generally speaking, um, he's, he's not elite. Um, he's good. 
Uh, he he can get beaten pretty badly by elite competition. Chandler Jones just ate him alive. Nick Bosa ate him alive. Nick Bosa does that to everyone, to be fair. Um, but it, it, he's, he's competent, and they ask a lot of him. They ask him to be on an island most of the time. Um, then moving to left guard, Assembly has played really well so far this year. He was the subject of my first film review where I charted his snaps. And last this last game, I was charting all the pressures to kind of see where the blame lie, whether it was the line, Mahomes, etc. And Assembly didn't take the blame on any of them. He's done a good job in pass protection. Mm-hmm. He's got a real mean streak. I mean, he just he just blocks like a jerk, and it's hilarious. I'm here for it. Um but uh, he he's added a little bit of nasty to the line. Austin Ryder at center, he he played well in spots when asked to to come in for an injured Mitch Morse two years ago. And due to that, and also because Morse was going to get handed the bag, they they let Morse walk. They kept Ryder around. He has yet to really obtain consistency since then. He's got decent but not elite strength. He's not particularly quick. Um, he, he's, he's been a subpar center at this point. And some of the anchor been in, in terms of the last couple of years. Sure. His anchor is one of his better functions, but it's still not elite. Um, he, he's not, he, he's not great in any facet. And unfortunately he has areas where he struggles a little bit. Pure power guys can get to him. Um, if he's left on an Island. So it, it's one of those things where you, you got kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none, sort of. And that's been tough for Chiefs fans because for years, first they had Rodney Hudson, then they had Mitch Morse. So they got very used to elite center play for years. Um, moving to the right guard spot, Andrew Wiley, who is a guy who has started on a few spots on the line uh, over the last couple of years, mostly due to injury. He got the nod at right guard this year. He he's he struggled against the uh, the Chargers significantly. And that was kind of a continuation of what we saw last year at left guard. The hope was switching him back to right guard where he'd been better previously would help that. And and it hasn't so far. He's, he's the weakest spot along the line from what we've seen. And he was victimized a little bit against the chargers really struggles against, uh, against stunts, which is probably good news to you guys, uh, oh, yeah. but not so much to chiefs fans. Uh, he doesn't pass off blocks. Well, Mitch Schwartz um, has been an elite right tackle for years. Um, he, he's just, he's very, very good at everything. Uh, he, he's getting a lot of flack for his game against the chargers. When you go back and chart the snaps, the majority of snaps where his guy ended up in Mahomes' face was because Mahomes dropped back to, you know, 10, 11, 12 yards, as opposed to seven or eight yards. And in a tackle can't really do anything at that point, right? They're blocking the spot. They don't see that the quarterback's moved. Uh, overall, he's he's still an excellent player. We'll see how the rest of this year goes. The Chargers game wasn't his normal excellence. And J.J. Watt gave him some problems the week before, to be fair. He's J.J. Watt. So we'll see how things go. Chiefs fans have gotten very used to watching Mitch Schwartz shut down everyone. And I mean everyone, you know, the great ones will get him a few times, but even then it's just not consistent. He's consistently won his matchups against Von Miller, Khalil Mack, everyone that you put him up against. And the the offense is built around that in a lot of ways. He's pretty much been an Iron Man too. Has he missed any games during his career to speak of? He missed one snap. I think it was last year. He uh, there was a terrible pressure given up by the backup left tackle, and his he, he got rolled up on. And Chiefs fans were irate because that's like he missed a couple snaps, I think, and those are the only snaps he's missed his entire career. And I can tell you, he has played hurt. He's he's played through a, a, some back stuff. He's played through some feet stuff. He is just an Iron Man. Incredible technical proficiency. Um. What's interesting with him is he never looks physically dominant. Like when you watch like Trent Williams, you know, and he just gets his hand on the guy and just freezes him. Right. And that's just it. He's just so much stronger. Whereas with Schwartz, it always looks like maybe he's he's working really hard at it, whether he's playing against Joey Bosa or some no name guy. But Joey Bosa and the no name guy usually have about the same amount of success. Yeah. I want want to go back to something you said earlier about the stunts. And you're right that Baltimore has had terrific success with stunts. In fact, against the Texans, they ran six stunts during the game, which is still a fairly low total, frankly, and had five of them get home for either a quarterback hit or a sack. So the question is, are there two consecutive guys somewhere on the line, whether it's Wiley and Ryder or uh, any of the interior guys, or maybe one of the tackles is a little weak, that there's a particular gap that is the very stuntable gap? 
that would be Wiley Ryder. That would be the place to go. Ryder does pretty well on his own. Um, the passing off occasionally he struggles with. Assembly's done really well with it so far. He's a veteran. He's seen a lot. Mm-hmm. And he he generally, you can see him pass the guy off and then just wait. And that's the danger, you know, with stunts and twists is if they see it coming, you're it's dead in the water because you don't have the correct momentum to really beat a blocker. So that Wiley is who I expect them to attack over and over and over, whether they're playing off of Schwartz or Ryder, because Wiley just struggles in that area. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Chiefs do to try to compensate for it, but that's the spot I would attack over and over again. All right. Well, what, what we have seen from uh, uh, both Wolf and Campbell is that C- Campbell is exceptional at using first contact to effectively do whatever he wants. And being so long, he has a, as big advantages there. Uh, Wolf is very uh, much more crafty than I thought. He's been an AFC West guy, so you've seen him out there plenty. Um, I have. But, but he's a guy who can draw the attention with not a lot of hard contact. And we saw, uh, you know, he set up a sack in week one mm-hmm. by a blitzing linebacker, by Queen, um, but by just basically drawing the attention of, who was it, the left guard, Betonio, for, for, the, uh, for the Browns without really a lot of hard contact. Um, Wolf, I'm very familiar with. He uh, he tormented the Chiefs for years when he was kind of at his peak. Um, he's a little past that peak physically, I think. Um, he's not quite as strong as he used to be uh, or quite as athletic. He used to have a pretty good uh, power athleticism combo, but he is he's very technically proficient. Smart guy's been doing this a long time. Um, and Campbell scares me against the Chiefs interior. Um a lot. <laughs> I just don't have any any way around it. I think Campbell might have been the one responsible, if I'm remembering correctly, for Mahomes' ankle injury in Week One last year because the interior couldn't block him. And so there, there, there's a lot. There's some opportunities there for the Baltimore pass rush to win. A lot's going to depend on whether or not their edge rushers can give Schwartz and Fisher trouble, though, because in previous years, at least the last couple of games, one thing that I've noticed in the matchups is that the Fisher and Schwartz were able to handle their business individually, which meant that you had the three interior linemen all able to work in concert and just not even worry about the islands on the edges. And you usually had a three-on-two advantage of some sort, or you had a free blocker who was able to see blitzes coming a mile away. And so if the if the Ravens can get a little more from their edge rushers this next game, that's going to probably create more problems than they have for Mahomes previously. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, the, the Ravens, uh, because they're so scheme-driven and they don't have good one-on-one winners on the edge, they, they use both Bowser and Judon to drop the coverage a lot. And they'll bring people from all over, slot corner, safety, mm-hmm. inside linebacker, wherever. So they're all about creating overloads and creating quick pressures because I think that, that that's really the key in the NFL today. I used to use a three-second standard. I still do for for judging uh, you know, how long a pocket is staying together, but it's really too long now in the NFL. If you don't get a, a 2.2 to 2.6-second pressure, it's usually not fast enough. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your Internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. To really alter a a quick-hitting third and fourth, third and sixth play. Right, and that's that's something that the Chiefs rely on too. Is that that idea? If you can keep Mahomes clean for two and a half, three seconds, at this point, it seems like the ball comes out. Now, of course, with him, the other thing is, the longer he holds on to the ball, I, I can't remember the stat. I looked at this. Next Gen had it a while ago. Mahomes is unique in that the longer he holds on to the ball, the worse things get for the defense, and. Hmm. He because he has this way of drawing defenders away from their assignments with his scrambling. 
right? He uses he he uses his, his his body movement to make defenders drift when they're in zones from one place to another, and then just throws into the vacated area. So it, it's that's going to be, I think, where we're going to see the matchup determined. Um, if the Ravens are able to pressure Mahomes, because there's got to be both things. Um, you can't just have great coverage on the back end. I assume the Ravens will. They've got an awesome secondary. I was watching a little bit, and I mean, you guys just stole Marcus Peters, who obviously Chiefs fans miss. Um, he just so great at taking the ball away. Um, but the the thing with Mahomes is, even if you have really great coverage, if there's not good pressure there, it just the coverage eventually stops mattering. And it, 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 within three and a half seconds, he's going to find someone because of the angles that he can throw from and the velocity he can put on the ball. So that that's going to be where it's won and lost. I think if, if they're able to get pressure on him as well, I think you're going to see a little more like what the Chiefs looked like against the Chargers on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, you know, we we suffered through the fourth and nine completion in the game. Two years ago, <laughs> I, I, I guess it was. And, you know, it's just. We've seen it happen over and over again with Mahomes. What impresses me most about him is that he's got a much larger area that he can throw when he rolls right, seemingly under pressure. Most have to follow the traditional rules of three levels of the sideline and the nearest guy I hit on right on the sideline, blah, 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 blah. Mahomes can go to the deep middle. Uh, he can go back yep. across the field and, and not have the same interception risk that other quarterbacks have. Right. He kind of takes that old adage, you know, they always ah, make him defend every blade of grass. Well, that's not realistic for most times in the NFL. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks have the arm strength to throw it across their body, but they can't do it with enough velocity to keep it from getting picked off because NFL defenders are just too good. They close too fast. Mahomes can make you defend every blade of grass. And the problem that it seems to exist for defenders is I think it's hard to to forget the instincts you've honed for the last decade of your life. You know, people say, well, you got to play Mahomes differently, right? You got to stay home no matter where he's running on the field. It's hard to change how you play for one game, right? And Mm -hmm. that's why you see guys, even though they've seen it time and time again, you see them start to drift. You see them start to go, like you said, you know, well, he's on the right side of the field. All right, well, we're going to start to drift to our left. But you can't do it because if you do, he will absolutely throw it to the spot you're not expecting and and make huge plays happen. All right. Let's move on to the wide receivers here uh, with Seth Kaiser, the athletic here. Uh, talk a little bit about what each brings to the game because they are they're you know obviously a ton of speed. That's what we think of when we think about the Chiefs wide receivers. But, but talk a little bit about each. Sure. Um, So the Chiefs generally play quite a few wide receivers. I I guess I'll go in order from the ones you should worry the least about. Well, Sammy Watkins probably isn't going to play. I assume he got a concussion on what I think was a late hit on Sunday. Uh, McCool Hardman, uh, you guys saw him a little bit last year. I think that was his only catch of the game was like a 70 yard touchdown. Um, He's he's an absolute burner. One of the fastest guys in the NFL. Um, He has not seen an increased role this year. Like some people, including me, thought he would. Um, he's got unusually quick feet for a guy with good deep speed. So the raw material is there to be a good route runner. I think they're working on some trust stuff. Demarcus Robinson will see quite a few snaps. He's just kind of a, a good, I would say, an average overall NFL wide receiver. He belongs on a roster on any team but the Chiefs. He'd probably be the third guy and maybe the second guy on some teams. Um, outside of that, then you obviously have Tyreek Hill, who is their their guy. Um absolute freak i've never seen anything like him um his speed is just utterly unusual and he's also turned himself into a really well-rounded receiver he's got excellent ball skills he runs really good routes he finds the open spot in zones and then travis kelsey you know you didn't ask about you, know, you said receivers but kelsey is treated like a wide receiver on probably about 70 percent of their snaps um he is actually looking a little quicker than he was this time last year. I don't know if he was struggling with injuries last year or what, but he's playing really well again. Um, the 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 thing that I always say about Kelsey is that he's always open. Um, he just is always open. Snap after snap after snap, if you check the All-22, Travis Kelsey is probably going to be open on whatever snap you happen to look at. So they're obviously a dangerous group. Um, they The Chargers did an excellent job in coverage on them, about as good as any team I've seen. And that it'll be really interesting to see how they, whether or not they bounce back uh, after a game in which I think they had some struggles. Now I'm looking at the first two weeks here, and it looks like in week one they had 91 uh, tight end snaps, which looks like they played about 30% 12 personnel. 
week two, that seemed to be reduced. And I know mm-hmm. last year they had Bell, and against the Ravens, they played a lot of 12 personnel. Mm-hmm. But but how's that played out this year? Sure. So Nick Kaiser has been taking a lot of the uh, the second tight end snaps. Uh, decent blocker. Um, not a guy they've really asked to do much in terms of receiving. Uh, I think he's a better blocker than Bell was, but I don't think he's got as reliable of hands. Uh, the Chiefs overall, I was curious whether they were going to keep running with a lot of 12 personnel. Reed seems to like to use it. Um, which has made me constantly think that really what they ought to do is invest a high-level draft pick in uh, a tight end mm-hmm. and get those kind of mismatches that you can get by, by having him and Kelsey out there a lot, which I think there'd be a ton of advantages to. But they they just they, they just want to grab receiver after receiver. So Kaiser's the guy there. Hasn't really done much other than be a blocking uh, tight end, and I wouldn't expect to see much more from him than that. All right. So the Chiefs like to run out of 11 personnel then primarily, given that they don't play much 12, obviously. Uh, is that their primary? It's they, they, they use a lot of 11 personnel. They do use some 12 personnel. They'll run out of anything. And I wish I could give a little more of a, you know, Andy Reid is just, that's him, right? You just don't know what he's going to do from one snap to the next. They, generally speaking, are going to have three receivers on the field. And then what else they do will vary. Um, they don't like taking receivers off the field because, again, they now it might vary just as a caveat with Watkins out. They might alter the way they approach things a little bit there. But for them, it's almost a losing proposition to take receivers off the field because they really run four deep of guys that they really like. So you're going to primarily see things out of 11 personnel. One interesting thing we saw against Houston is they were running a little more power out of 11 personnel behind Osamelli. And so that that's their that's going to be their primary go-to but Reed really does change that up game by game. Okay. All right. Very interesting. So it's always one of the things to look for. The, the, the big uh, revelation for the Ravens this last week, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll hold up against a, a line like the Chiefs as opposed to the Texans, is that the Ravens were able to, again, be very effective. And this is kind of the hallmark of the Ravens organization, playing the standard nickel, uh, you know, six-man box against 11 personnel and stop the run very effectively. And I think that's that'd be one of the things that would really help them against a team like the Chiefs is, is really getting back to their roots in, in that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else to say about maybe Edward Solaire and what he's done the first couple of weeks so far? Sure. Um, Edward Solaire has looked really good. He had a quieter game against the Chargers, though. He kind of came on in the passing game. Um, really good vision. Very quick. Makes exceptional jump cuts. Um, very, very, very agile within the phone booth has been able to locate the hole, generally speaking, make the most out of what's been available to him. Um, Not the biggest guy, so he's not going to, even though he's got a lot of bounce through contact and is tough for individual players to bring down, once you get to good-sized linebackers or defensive linemen, there's not going to be a lot of dragging guys, right, like you see with some running backs. And so he's, he's done really well. He's been as advertised. Um, they, he, they finally utilized him a little more in the receiving game against the Chargers, and I think you're going to see that more and more because he runs exceptional routes, and he showed really great hands in week two. Um, he's kind of the icing, you know, he's, he's the cherry on top of an offense that really didn't seem like it needed help, but they went out and got him. So far, it's paid pr- off pretty well. I, he's going to be the one that I'm interested to watch because they know what they have everywhere else. Right, right. I, th- I kind of felt the same way about the Ravens and the, and the pick of Dobbins is that mm-hmm. they didn't need to invest that draft capital necessarily in a player like that, but uh, – uh, I, I, I get the situation you're in. All right, uh, let's turn it over to the defense for a moment. Um, one of the things I always like to do is a high level, what's their most common base package they play? Are they, are they typically a nickel team? I know it's going to depend on the opposing offense, but you know what the Ravens are going to give you a lot of the time is a either a 12 or a 21 personnel look and sometimes a 13. So what you what you're going to see the most out of the Chiefs, they are going to be they're going to be in their nickel personnel by far the most. They usually do that with just a couple couple of a uh, couple of linebackers. They'll often even get to where they only have one linebacker on the field. They love to play three safeties, um, and they consistently they're, they're almost always going to have four down linemen though. Um, no matter what else they're doing on the back end, uh, they their defensive ends are one of the strengths of the team. And so that that's not going to change too much. You're going to have you're almost always going to have your one tech and your three tech out there, and it's the edges that might move around a little bit. 
They, like I said, they love playing three safeties, especially now that Juan Thornhill is healthy. So you're going to see a great deal of that. And that's one of the ways that they get rid of, I think, shirking on cornerbacks is that they, they just, they love moving their safeties around. They put Tyron Matthew in the slot, which allows them to get away with not having an extra corner out there. They move him all over the field to try to confuse quarterbacks. And Juan Thornhill's been excellent at the deep safety role. So like, like you, like you said, you know, it obviously varies quite a bit. They are a primary nickel team though. They, they really like having that extra safety on the field. Okay. Now the, with the, I, now, that's really what I would call a big nickel. I know we said we, we weren't right. going to talk terminology here, but but there the, a, a safety as the slot corner is what you're talking about with still two linebackers a lot of the time. Yes, or what you'll what you'll see is they'll bring in a slot corner, have have still have three safeties in, and then only have one linebacker on the field. Okay, so that's that's really a dime package. I would call it where they where they really right. only, only heavies on the field. Okay. That, that's the Ravens play a lot of that. And I'm trying to count up the snaps here to see if I can get there in terms of, of what you got. I noticed you are kind of short on linebackers uh, in this last. <laughs> yes. So uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I always like to know that in terms of, of how pass defense is approached um, in, in terms of how they line up against 11. Then it's, it sounds like it's standard nickel is what they, what they would be showing there with two full size linebackers. <laughs> we'll call it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would think so, probably. Although, you know, an interesting thing to note with the way that the Ravens challenge teams um, on the edges, despite being more of a power-based team, it would be interesting to me to see if they tried to get away with having as much speed on the field as possible. Because I can say that uh, Hitchens and Wilson, they're two linebackers that get the most snaps. They do not have sideline-to-sideline speed. And I think that's a recipe for trouble against the Ravens. Could could be in terms of of keeping track of of uh, Jackson, of course. The, the power run game. I just I really want them to see the Ravens get back to that against the Chiefs because I know one of the things that I've seen and heard this week is that the Chiefs were second in the league, and this is the Pro Football Reference number, which can differ substantially from other sources um, in terms of missed tackles so far this year. They were second in the league at twenty nine. The Jets had forty. And by the way, Oof. how do you even fit? 40 missed tackles into two freaking football games. That's five I, missed tackles per quarter. <laughs> I, that, that's unbelievable. Although I will say there were segments of the Chiefs-Chargers game where they managed to jam four or five into one play. Yeah. So I, I think that's what you do. You just got to line guys up and have a miss over and over. They were sliding off Austin Eckler like he had grease all over him. It was ridiculous. All right. So uh, – Let's talk a little bit about rotation and snap management and whatnot. When you play a four-man line a lot of the time, um, how, how often are they getting Chris Jones off the field and how much rotation do they do along that line? They usually let Jones play, depending on the game, between 60 and 80% of the snaps. Um, you know, obviously they want him on the field as much as possible on down. That's where he does most of his damage. Clark usually plays as much as possible. He left the game with an illness on Sunday. Um, but I'm guessing he'll be fine. He just seems to get that stomach bug fairly frequently. Um, they they love keeping Clark in. They'll usually rotate the other defensive end um, to where it's like, you know, like a 60-40, 70-30 type thing. Passing, you've seen a lot of snaps this year. A lot will depend on whether Alex Okafor is healthy or not. If he's healthy, he and Passing, you tend to split fairly evenly um, with a little more in favor of Okafor. If he's not passing, you will see most of the snaps, I'm guessing. Um, they do like to rotate their bigger guys. You'll see Pinnell a fair amount. Um, and he he tends to swap out with Derek Nadi. They'll have Tershawn Wharton rotate in a little bit too, probably at that three-tech spot. But the, the whole defensive line basically revolves around how often on important downs they can have Jones and Clark on the field together. Okay. All right. Now, I noticed that Clark only played 43% of the snaps against the Chargers, it looks like. Was he injured or some such? Yeah, he left with an illness. Um, okay. I, that, that was, I, I think he was, I don't think he was feeling right that whole game because he didn't quite seem like himself. Um, he, he did real well against the Texans the week before. It didn't seem like he was making much of an impact even before he left the game. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, hopefully nothing Corona related there. Obviously we have to be concerned about this in this day and age, uh, a pass rush and, uh, and how they usually do that. Is it, it, do they run a lot of very typical four-man rush, blitz a lot? I know Teron Matthew does some blitzing. Yep. Um, so Spagnolo doesn't use blitzing frequently. Um, he, he likes to let Jones and Clark do their thing. 
But when they do blitz, they generally do it very effectively. He really likes blitzing Matthew, um, who's very good at it. Um, he's always liked to blitz slot corners, and he's kind of used Matthew in that role. He also likes to, this year so far, you've seen a little bit of kind of like the whole coffeehouse stunt type blitz. You get that delayed action in there. Um, he does like to run a lot of movement up front in terms of stunts. And that's generally kind of the whole package with Spagnolo. You get some manufactured and then some just relying on basically trying to scheme his way to where Chris Jones is matched up with guys individually because there are very few guards in the NFL that, that can block him with any sort of success if, if you get him in a one-on-one situation. So they, they do a lot of movement to try to get him kind of in those situations where it's just him versus one of the guards. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. He's definitely a very dominant player. So, if, you know, I've really been noticing so far this year that it looks like Matthew and Jones, more than any two players, are really holding the defense together. And I, Frank Clark, I just wouldn't say it's on the same level as those other two. Part of it may be the illness this last week uh, was a problem. But uh, where do you see that? Uh, so with uh, Matthew and Jones are, in my opinion, they are the, in terms of talent, they're the two best players on the defense. Um, and a lot of what they do revolves around them. Clark, when he's healthy, is in that same stratosphere. And he's also, he's kind of the the emotional heartbeat of the defense, uh, just as much as Matthew, in that they get a lot of their swagger from him and a lot of their attitude and a lot of this is as far as this goes kind of attitude um so he's he's wildly important to the defense but i think you're correct to say that jones and matthew are the two those are the two guys matthew on the back end and jones up front they they they're the two that hold it together the most and when it comes to third downs those are the two that you're going to see make the most plays okay okay and uh, maybe take us through the secondary just real quickly in terms of of uh who's there Juan Thornhill is back after missing the playoffs last year, right? Correct. Yep, he's played quite a few snaps. Um, he did have a few missed tackles against the Chargers, but who didn't on the Chiefs' defense? Um, they he he's good safety, plays very well deep, has exceptional range and deep ball skills. Uh, he's really great at contesting it. Um, so they they like him on that back end role. I think he struggles a little bit more when he's asked to come into the box and tackle. Obviously, we talked about Tyron Matthew. They use him all over. He'll play every position on defense outside of, you know, one tech, uh, probably three tech too, but they just everywhere else, they seem to line him up at some point or another. Um, right. We talked about Legereus Sneed a little bit. I'm guessing Charvarius Ward will be back at the other corner position. He's, he's played very well over the last couple of years. He's got good speed, good quickness, plays pretty physical, maybe even a little grabby. Um, his ball skills aren't quite as good as what I'd like to see, but that's uh, that's that's been attributed to eyesight. And then this offseason, he got LASIK. So I guess we'll see. He got hurt relatively early, so we haven't seen yet. Um, and then after that, it becomes really interesting. Um, Daniel Sorensen is their third safety. He'll be on the field a ton because they're going to play three safeties a whole ton because um, Hamilton, one of their cornerbacks that they planned on being their fourth corner, he got injured in, during, against the Chargers, probably won't be in. Bashad Breland is still suspended. And so if you were to ask me if Charvarius Ward misses the game and who they're going to have out there, my answer would be a shrug of some sort because <laughs> it's – I'm dead serious. I mean, they've got Rashad Fenton, who is a second-year player, played a lot more than people would have expected last year. So, I mean, it wouldn't be quite a shrug. But outside of Fenton and Sneed – it's um, they just don't have a lot going on there. They really have become very, very thin at the cornerback spot, and you just don't have any proven options there. Um, Antonio Hamilton's out. They were looking at getting Bo Pete Keys snaps. He's a rookie. They just, if you even look at their roster right now, I, I'm gonna I'm pulling up their roster as I look at it, and right now you've got four guys on the roster with Bashad Breland suspended that are labeled as cornerbacks, and two of them are injured. So it's weird, man. Like I, I couldn't. I, and again, I, this is one of the things I do for my living. And if you if you were to put a gun to my head and say, "Hey, outside of Sneed and Fenton, who's going to play corner for the Chiefs?" I would I would die that day because I would have to say I have no idea. 
This is interesting because obviously Ravens fans are going through the the uh, mourning period now for the Tavon Young injury and and third time in four years he's been lost for the season oh, and cool. it, it, it's it's terrible loss and 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 they don't have anybody else who can play slot corner but Ravens fans out there just listen for a second to what real cornerback problems are I mean, the Ravens still have Jimmy <laughs> yeah Smith it could be so corner. much worse it could be so much worse. The Ravens really do have four pretty good corners. They're just using one at safety right now. So uh, anyway, uh, it's uh, interesting to hear that. I, I did want to talk a little bit about how you think the the Chiefs will defend Jackson, Brown, Andrews, and the Ravens' run game. Just kind of get, give me an idea of, of what you see the, the chess match being like there. Um, You know, they've struggled defending the run so far this year. Um, You know, the hope from Chiefs fans is that you know, Mike Pinnell coming back will kind of help solidify that middle of the line where they've struggled against power. And, you know, that's with Derek Nottie being healthy. They just so far, that's just not an area. They haven't consistently been good against the run in years. Um, what they did last year, they, they, they just counted on their edges to crash very quickly and chase Jackson around all over the field, which they had some success with and some not. Um, one of the advantages to having some of the guys that they have is that they're tough to wall off along the edge. They're very tough to deal with one-on-one. Not a lot of tight ends or even tackles that really do well with Clark. So what I'm guessing you're going to see from them, it wouldn't surprise me with Pinnell back if you saw a little more of almost a bare front and maybe see if they can just have some, you know, have Pinnell and Naughty on the line at the same time and have them there to eat blocks and have Jones along the interior with them to penetrate and shoot gaps and then hope what they can do is have him get in there and disrupt the timing of a lot of these plays before they can really get started and then just count on the defense to be disciplined enough to clean up afterward. Okay. It'd be interesting where they would make the sacrifice for that. Would that be like playing a, a, a jumbo nickel look where an inside linebacker is off the field and replaced by a defensive lineman or you yeah. have to really yeah, if they're going to remove anyone off the field, it's going to be one of their inside linebackers because their inside linebackers right now are not good. Um, I I don't you know, and, and that's all due respect to a couple of Super Bowl champions in uh, in Anthony Hitchens and Damian Wilson, but they have not been playing well. They don't have great speed. They're considered more thumpers, and they haven't been hitting the hole on time. Uh, as of recently, they drafted Willie Gay in the second round, tremendous athlete, but they're clearly not ready to put him on the field yet. Even though I know they're really optimistic about him. You know, it's interesting that the, the defense you're describing, the, I talked to a Bears intern about this, and he said that they term it as penny. And I know we talked a little bit about terminology early in the show, but um, there is no, I don't think, standard terminology for that defense. I like jumbo nickel because it stays with the proper coinage for the number of defensive backs mm-hmm. and gives you an idea of what you're doing. But that's, uh, uh, that's an interesting one. But that's it's interesting to hear that the, the Chiefs would be looking to go to that to try and stop the run. Play action has also been very successful for the Ravens. Obviously, these last last year and change, uh, do they have a you know a, a set of linebackers who reads well or does things they need to well to keep uh, Andrews from eating them alive over the middle of the field? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the short non-homer answer. They have not shown anything that shows that they're going to cover a linebacker over the middle of the field particularly well, unless they decide every game. They will, not every game, but some games you will see Spagnolo has given Tyron Matthew the solve this problem assignment, right? Mm-hmm. And that's been tight ends a few times. And it's been Matthew just basically trailing tight ends. And as I think Andrews is a really good player. I think if they go that route, I'm guessing Matthew will probably do pretty well in that matchup. Um, but then, of course, that 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 removes certain options from your defense in terms of moving him around, trying to confuse pre-snap reads, etc., um, outside of him or them playing zone particularly well, which is what they've usually gone with in terms of that interior area up the seam, Ben Neiman, one of their linebackers that they've counted on to be better in coverage. He's struggled, um, protecting that seam and getting depth on those routes in particular. Dan Sorensen can get depth on those zone routes at safe from the safety spot, but he struggles in man coverage against good tight ends, which Mark Andrews is one. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to leave you guys overly confident, but some of the things that the Ravens do particularly well are areas the Chiefs have struggled. All right. Well, I think one thing we can agree on is that Tyron Matthew would have been the much better signing um, than uh, Thomas a year ago. Yeah, yeah that, and, who would have saw that coming? Honestly, I was uh, mad that the Chiefs got Matthew instead of Thomas, which shows what I know. 
Well, I was, you know, I felt the same way, but, uh, but the price difference also was, was uh, Matthew was a much better bargain as well. Was he four years, 32 million or thereabouts? Yeah. Um, I, I think it was, it was three years at about 14 mil per year. Oh, maybe okay. 13 mil. So, so it's still a bargain considering what he's done, but in terms of at the time, it was it, there was some controversy around that, and now that they've seen everything that he can do in Spagnuolo's defense, that controversy has largely gone away. Of course. All right. Well, I don't like to go with score predictions, but I would like you to pick one Chiefs player who you think matches up particularly well against the Ravens, and who you think can can do well. I, if I'm going to pick one guy, I'm going to probably you know outside of Mahomes because you know that's he's the quarterback. Um, I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey. And I, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the Ravens do, from what I've seen, and, and you kind of confirmed here, they do th- keep things relatively simple in terms of their secondary. They count on talent to win, and by and large, they do win because they're extremely talented. I'm curious whether or not they're going to try to do something crazy like use a linebacker on him like Patrick Queen because that's never ended well for anyone. Um, including, you know, Keekly, it just hasn't mattered. There aren't linebackers who can cover Kelsey. I don't think they would go that route because Harbaugh is a smart guy. But when you've got a scheme that's dependent more so on talent to win than anything else, um, at least they, they don't need to scheme stuff up. Kelsey generally does pretty well just because there are very few defenses he hasn't seen that he doesn't find the soft spot in. Or if it gets reduced to man coverage, there just aren't a lot of non-cornerbacks that can hang with him. Um, you've got Derwin James and a few others, but the list is extremely short. So I think he's in really good position to do some damage if they don't mix things up from what they normally do. I, I would not be surprised if the solution is Jimmy Smith this week. That would be that would be a great way to go. I I know some teams have done that. They've they've you know the Patriots whenever they play the Chiefs, Gilmore is often covering Kelsey because you could see Belichick just okay anyone else just not that guy and so that would be a great move on their part for sure. All right, all right. Well, so appreciate you coming on, Seth. You know, it's terrific material and very well delivered. Tell us where can folks find your work, your Twitter handle, any other plugs. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, you can obviously read me at The Athletic. I'm on Twitter at RealMN, as in Minnesota. Chiefs fan, that Twitter account started long before I was an analyst, and I'm never going to change it, um, even though it sounds a little goofy once you're an analyst that you're called a fan of the team. But what are you going to do? Um, I, you could also find me at the Chief of the North newsletter, where I do a lot of uh, film review, breakdowns, etc., um, it's, it's an email newsletter utilizing Substack. It's, it's kind of a pet project of mine that I've had a lot of fun with. Um, it's obviously all chief centric, but, uh, I like to get into the nitty gritty of more detailed analysis of football as well. All right. Outstanding. Anything, any other plugs you want to make? No, oh, man. You know, other than I'm just excited for what should be a really great game. This is going to be awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I, us too. Believe me. Uh, Josh, do we have anything in the mailbag for Seth? I forgot to ask about that. No, we're all good. You guys covered everything that is in the mailbag uh, outside of score predictions and lines and all that, which we generally avoid on this. <laughs> all right. Very good. I uh, want to just remind people of the regular schedule for film study on a weekly basis. Uh, Monday, we record the pod for the uh, defenses out Tuesday morning, the offense on Tuesday, out Wednesday, know your foe on Wednesday, out Thursday. And by the numbers, the new one, out uh, recorded Thursday and out on Friday. So we'll have to take a look for that one. That's much shorter, pithier content. Uh, Josh, anything else you want to hit on before we go? Nope, that's all good. Everyone should go on over and rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts and continue to share the show. Thanks again for coming on, Seth. Yep, thanks for having me. Talk to you next time on Film Study. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. 
It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.